Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Anna Staver, and this is Ohio Politics Explained, a podcast where you give us 15 minutes and we give you all the news you need to sound smart and impress your friends when you go out this weekend. Welcome back to another episode of Ohio Politics Explained, the Let's Get Ready to Map Make edition. This week, we're explaining what new state house maps might look like, whether the final language for the abortion amendment might sway voters in November, why Ohio's overhaul of public education might be delayed, and when we might see exploration for oil and gas underneath our state parks. Joining me this week is reporter Jesse Walmart. Thanks for having me. Love talking about maps. <sighs> yes, it's also, it's been a crazy news week, no? I feel like we've been drinking from a fire hose a little bit, particularly Tuesday afternoon. I feel oh, like everything goodness. happened at the same time. And before we get into what happened on Tuesday afternoon, I want to take a quick second, as always, and ask you to consider leaving OPE a review on Apple iTunes or wherever you listen. Reviews help get more ears on this podcast. And as always, I super duper appreciate it. So our first topic is Jesse's favorite topic, redistricting. And Ohio needs new district maps for its House and Senate seats because the ones we used in 2022 were technically not constitutional. So we got to draw them again. And this week, we got our first look at what those new boundaries might be. Correct. So this week, Republicans presented their proposed maps for the state House and Senate. In the Senate, they would have about 23 Republicans and 10 Democratic seats. In the House, they would have 62 Republican, 37 Democratic seats under this proposal. There are a number of seats, about 10 Democratic ones and about six Republican ones that would be very close, like Swing districts. Toss-ups. And so that was their initial proposal. Democrats were only able to initially look at this on a piece of paper. And so we're trying to kind of analyze these maps that they had not seen wholesale previously. They brought up a number of initial issues, but I'm sure in the days to come, we're going to dig into these maps and see where some of the differences are. Yeah. During the hearing, there was some questions initially about whether certain House members, certain Senate members were drawn into districts together because you're supposed to avoid that. And and Macaulay came back and was like, oh, no, those two people aren't in a district together. But like the fact that Alison Russo, the, ha- the one of the members of this uh, commission, couldn't know by looking at it kind of tells you like where they were at. Correct. And one of the features of this bill, which Republicans would say is keeping communities together and Democrats would say is kind of packing Democrats into districts, is they're trying to keep the cities like your larger cities in one state Senate district or as few House districts as potentially possible. Democrats largely live in Ohio's urban centers. That's not exclusive. But if you are trying to create more Democratic seats or more opportunities for Democrats to win in seats, you're going to be dividing some of those urban centers in order to get to kind of a statewide proportion of voters. And I think there's going to be some debate about whether 
that statewide proportion of voters, what that number is, number one, and yeah. number two, if we need to follow it, which is something that one of the co-chairs, um, Auditor Faber, brought up saying that this is kind of a magical, mystical number <laughs> and perhaps we don't even need to follow it. So another thing that's really important is the Ohio Supreme Court that ruled all of these maps unconstitutional in 2022 was led by Supreme Court Chief Justice Maureen O'Connor. And she's she gone. is no longer there. And so the new Chief Justice Sharon Kennedy was on the court at the time and would have voted in favor of these maps back in 2022. So you just have a different dynamic happening there. Yeah. And Maureen O'Connor is actually now part of a campaign to possibly change how we write maps yet again. We may be voting on that in 2024. That's still, they're trying to get the ballot language right so they can go collect signatures. But, you know, looming over all of this is the possibility that we're going to toss out the commission and this way of doing it and come up with a whole new way. Correct. So there's a lot (laughs) lot happening on the redistricting front. I will say that there's going to be the Ohio Constitution requires that there are public meetings on these maps. Yeah, they're taking the show on the road. They're taking the show on the road. They're going to be at some state parks and then at the Ohio State House in the Senate finance chamber if anyone wants to come down on Tuesday at 10 a.m. But on Friday and Monday, they're going to be at state parks. Democrats also took issue with this, saying that these were not exactly the most user-friendly locations, that the public really didn't have that much time. And you know, some people can't get off work in the middle of the day to go um, talk about redistricting lines. So we'll see how robust these discussions are. People are very interested in this topic and very engaged in this topic. So I expect a number of members of public will be there. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our second topic is one that Jesse also covers, and it's what words Ohioans will see when they go to vote on whether to protect abortion access this November. So supporters of the Reproductive Rights Amendment were unhappy with what the ballot board came up with for that language, and they took their complaints to the state Supreme Court. And this week, the court mostly sided with Frank LaRose and the ballot board. Is that right, Jesse? Correct. So the people who are putting this issue on the ballot, it's going to be issue one on the November ballot. Because that's that's not confusing. Moderately confusing. So we just got over uh, the August issue one. So this is a proposal to enshrine abortion rights and other reproductive rights in the state constitution up until viability. And then after that, there could be abortions for like the health and life of the pregnant patient. So that's the gist of it. So that language is what would go into the Ohio Constitution. But there's this group, That's not changing, right? That is not changing. That is there's, set. There's a group of people called the Ohio Ballot Board led by Secretary of State Frank LaRose who write the words that you're going to read on the ballot in November. And that was what was in dispute. There are a number of phrases like using unborn child as opposed to fetus or only mentioning abortion versus other reproductive 
reproductive decisions, for example, miscarriage care or contraception, which are in the constitution's language, but not in the ballot language. So there were just a few things that the campaign said, this isn't fair. This isn't really giving a full and accurate view of our measure. But the Ohio Supreme Court largely disagreed. The only thing that they wanted them to change was moving. They wanted to swap out citizens of Ohio for the state of Ohio, just so there's no confusion who um, can like limit the restriction, who can limit or restrict abortion in Ohio. Yeah. And, you know, I think this is just an interesting question of, you know, uh, Frank LaRose has said he opposes this issue one. He is pro-life, as is the Republican majority on the ballot board. And, you know, there's there were arguments from the other side that they were trying to cast this in the worst possible light to ensure that it fails. But I will be really curious to see whether that makes a difference, because I kind of feel like this is a special election. It's not a presidential year, right? There's no politicians on the ballot. And if you're going out to vote on the abortion amendment, like, I feel like maybe you know how you're going to vote before you get there. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I think there's going to be so much media coverage and there's going to be so many ads and just so much money spent on this particular issue. I would be surprised if too many people go into the ballot box in November having no idea what this measure is about. But words matter. So that was kind of the fight that we were having at the Supreme Court. Yeah, I got uh, flooded with like um, like text messages and like press stuff immediately after the decision from the people supporting this saying this is an inaccurate, like false rewrite of their like they're very hard trying to market that that language is not correct. So it'll be really interesting to see if they can convince voters of that. Yeah. And really, at the end, it's what you're going to read at the ballot box, but it isn't what's going to be added to the Constitution. If this passes, obviously, if it fails, then nothing gets added to the Constitution. Our third topic is Ohio's state parks and whether we might start leasing the mineral rights underneath them to oil and gas companies. This week, a a commission called the Oil and Gas Land Commission, Land Management Commission, sorry, held a hearing to vote on whether to put certain parcels of public land up for bids. So not to actually lease them out yet, but to allow companies to bid and eventually you know, secure the rights. So they said yes to four properties that were owned by ODOT. So that's the Ohio Department of Transportation. And these were highways or right of ways. So like if you want to run a line from one side of the highway to the other, you need permission to run it under the highway. But they didn't decide on the more controversial parcels, which would allow fracking in places like Salt Fork State Park. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. This is an issue that's really been on the back burner of Ohio politics for more than a decade. Uh, there has been at least some authority to potentially do oil and and guess drilling underneath state parks since even Governor John Kasich's administration. Yeah. But they really kind of slow walked this issue, weren't that excited about moving forward on it. And it really wasn't until the end of last year when there was a law passed really, you know, forcing this issue to the forefront. And so I'd be interested to see what happens at the next meeting. Did they give any sort of indication whether they're likely to give a thumbs up or thumbs down on this issue? Well, where they seem to be divided was um, the Ohio Department of Natural Resources, which is technically the owner of places like Salt Fork State Park. So there was an initial opening bid and it's weirdly like shielded in secrecy. So you can't know who nominated the parcel and what they thought the lease term should be. It's most definitely an oil and gas company, right, who nominated it in suggested terms. Well, ODNR came back and was like, hey, we think we need to add these extra terms, right? Some of them were like, some of these are wildlife refuges, so they were like, where we allow hunting. So they don't want any fracking during hunting season, or they don't want any surface stuff like rigs, wells, and stuff within a thousand feet of the park. They don't want commercial trucks for this stuff going through the parks, right? So there's all these things that ODNR wants. And, you know, and the commissioners couldn't agree on how much of 
to take of what ODNR wants and how much they should not take because there was some pushback from the oil and gas companies on those extra addendums. So of course there was. And so they seem to be debating how much extra like requirements they should put on this lease, not whether to actually create a lease, if that makes sense. No, that makes sense. I'm going to turn this interview around on you, I guess. <laughs> well, it seemed like it was quite the lively scene there. What was it like covering this meeting? Yeah, um, it kind of took me back to like my city council days. Like there were people in costumes. There was a full, there were two different songs sung by the opposition, including one that they wrote about Salt Fork State Park. There was a woman dressed as Mother Nature and she had like uh, woodland stuffed animals attached to her long green dress. It was, it was very lively and I very embarrassingly broke a chair. So it was exciting all around. It happens to the best of us. It happened to be a Delaware County covering of a former President Donald Trump rally. So I've, I've been there. Yeah, yeah. A hundred chairs in that room. And I sat in the one that was broken. That's how it goes sometimes. Our fourth and final topic is education. Specifically, the plan passed back in July to change who is in charge of curricula and statewide standards for Ohio's 1.7 million public school children. So this overhaul of public education would essentially do three things. It would rename the Ohio Department of Education as the Department of Education and Workforce. And yeah, that acronym is DO. It would create two deputy directors, one for traditional education and one for career technical. So it put a real emphasis on career technical and STEM training. And finally, and most controversially, it would take control from the State Board of Education over things like curricula and state standards and kind of really the direction of public education. It would take it from that partially elected board and give it to Governor Mike DeWine. And seven members of that board this week, well, they sued to stop that from happening. Yeah, this has been a really fascinating power struggle over maybe years, but definitely it's heated up over the past several months. Governors generally and Governor Mike DeWine specifically have been interested in having more control over public education. This board has partially elected, partially appointed, so it's kind of an interesting body. But I would say a number of Democrats on this board feel like this is being this takeover kind of is happening now because they were able to gain some more seats on the state school board. So we'll see the results of this um, of this court decision. Do we, we think it might be pretty quick? Yeah, there's a chance that by the time you're listening to this, we'll know whether we have what's called a temporary restraining order. So it would last for two weeks until we get to an actual injunction hearing, which just in legalese means, can we put this law on hold while we litigate whether it's constitutional? So, you know, as you're listening to this, there's a decent chance that we'll know whether we have that temporary block. And then on October 2nd, we'll find out whether we get a more permanent block. And that's, you know, that's a big deal because ODE has been prepping to become due. Like they have been like looking at candidates to be the new directors, like figuring out how to restructure. Like from July till now, they've they've done a lot of work to get ready for that October 3rd deadline when like technically everything changes over. So it would grind all of that to a halt essentially while this was litigated. Yeah. And there's so much focus on who controls public education and who kind of charts the course for it and how accountable they are to the public. And the question is whether this board that is elected or partially appointed is going to be more or less accountable than the governor who is elected, you know, once every four years. So it's certainly the debate that's going forward. And one more thing before you go. Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost announced a series of indictments against former executives of the Columbus Zoo and Aquarium this week. The 100-page indictment alleges that the zoo's former CEO, marketing director, and chief financial officer spent zoo dollars on things like watches, limos, and luxury suites to watch the Columbus Blue Jackets. 
Yeah, I just wanted to give some kudos to the Columbus Dispatch for their reporting on this even a couple of years ago. I don't think we were able to get like the full extent of the money that is being, you know, potentially misused here, but certainly a decent chunk and informed the public that something like this might be coming. Yeah. In 2021, the dispatch uncovered that they owned two homes, weirdly, like they owned homes in the area and they had remodeled them using more than $80,000 in zoo funds and then rented them out to uh, relatives of staff for less than market value. But the attorney general's office was able to dig even deeper. You know, subpoena power is a thing. It helps. And, and they found lots more that we didn't know at the time. So yeah, definitely kudos to the dispatch for starting it, which eventually led in these down the road to these indictments. Ohio Politics Explained is brought to you by the USA Today Network Ohio Bureau. You can find us on Twitter at Ohio Explained. And if you want to learn more about any of the topics we covered, check us out online at any of the newspapers in our network, like the Fremont News Messenger. That's thenews-messenger.com. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.